this uh, this week's sermon is dealing with the uh, the topic and the theme um, of divorce, of when God's heart and desire for our unity, our union, our lives together, when it when it doesn't work according to God's plan, when when other things happen, and that's what we're going to be looking at. And so, going to have a song to I- introduce this sort of the larger themes of relationship, and we're going to be looking uh, at this topic, and we're going to be looking at the bigger picture beyond with God. Thank you. So we're back here again, tiptoeing around the edge of the end, wondering who'll be the last to admit that we're finally Terrible shoes Plausible dress It's funny how sad the funny things get As you grow older Better or worse, but what else can we do? When better or worse, I am tethered to you If it's not either of us, tell me who I'm tired of trying to guess what was wrong. Both agreed on where we should go, but not have it again. We tried and tried to loosen the knots, thinking once we're untangled, we'll be better off. But it's these failures and faults that hold us together. So we're back here 
been looking at the Gospel of Mark and uh, looking at the ministry of Jesus, looking at him entering into our world as we live it, as we experience it. That's where he meets us and then laying out God's heart, his intention, his purposes, this, this 3D flow-through rendering of what is life really about? Who are we really? Why does it feel the way that it does? And, and this is what's been going on throughout the gospel. It's been uh, a lot of Jesus, the, the presence of Christ coming into situations, uh, the, the light coming in, the darkness fleeing, and we see it physically and spiritually, relationally, all sorts of different ways. There was the, uh, the, the big break where Jesus announced um, from showing the kingdom of God now to realizing the kingdom of God where he predicts his death and suffering. And this is sort of the, in order for this to happen, this is the reality. And, and so the re- whole rest of the book is leading up to Jerusalem. And, and there's a huge, there's, there's a break where he crosses from, from Galilee, where he has been ministering his hometown, kind of the northern Ozark range, and, uh, and comes down to the big city, the capital, uh, Judea, and, um, and on his way to Jerusalem. There had been all these demonstrations of power. There had been all of these, these interactions that were extreme and on the edge. There, there had been radical life lessons where Jesus takes the disciples on these frightening field trips, way beyond familiarity and comfort levels, to say, okay, you're stripped, you're vulnerable, you're helpless, it's scary. This is our jumping off point together. So he's been showing them this in ministry. He's been showing them this in their own personal lives. He's been showing them this as he reveals more of who he is, not just his divinity, like with the transfiguration, but what is a heart of, heart of love who loves us more than allowing us to settle or to continue in what's hurting us. How does that heart of love work out in other areas? Now, now, Mark doesn't capture a whole lot of the teachings of Jesus. I mean, if you want just some fat teachings from Jesus, you know, Matthew or Luke would be your, your go-to places. Uh, John's, or excuse me, John's a totally different animal. Uh, Mark is uh, much more of the action gospel. And it, so it's, it begins with saying he crossed over a totally new region. The crowd had, had, knew who he was. They came out to hear him, and Jesus taught them. Okay, Mark, What? I mean, it's Jesus, right? He's teaching us. This is the word of the Lord. What is he teaching them? Show us, Mark. Come on. Okay, Peter, you were there. You're telling Mark. What do you want to include? Nothing. This is the first teaching that we have recorded from Jesus on the way to his death. And and I believe this is where he's saying, here's an area of life where we're vulnerable, where we're stripped, where we're interdependent. 
And what does it look like with a heart of love and wholeness and unity, even in this situation? Not the ideal, but the real that we experience. Everybody has a, a different relationship. They, they say every kid is born into a different family. You're born into the same family, but your parents and your siblings are different when you came into the situation. And so everybody has their own experience of the same thing. And, and we see this in, in marriage as well. Some people, like, like um, myself, for example, have the most wonderful, wonderful marriage. The beautiful genius, compassionate, patient, almost the fourth member of the Trinity uh, as, as my wife. Uh, and it, it is just a wonderful, wonderful marriage where anything that's good, she is just propping me up and making me look good. And, and anything that's bad, that's, that's all me. And then other people, they, they didn't find that, that, that their marriage, it's difficult, it's tedious, it's frustrating. Like my wife's, for example. Her, her, her marriage, just, it's a nightmare. It's a train wreck. And, and so, so we, have these, we have these examples. And see, but we all see it that way. How you see your relationship, whatever that relationship is, I guarantee you it's not how it really is. Mostly, but not all. And it certainly isn't how your partner sees the relationship, and it certainly isn't how God sees it. It takes two to tango but just one to let go. And this really is the rawness of, of commitment and relationship right here. See, our great hope in a covenant relationship with God is that he will never let go. No one can snatch them out of my hand. That is our confidence to stay in the relationship. To that It doesn't matter how bad I am. It doesn't matter how hopeless it seems. It doesn't matter how consistently and beautifully I continue to mess things up. My hope is that God will never, ever, ever let go. And that gives me the confidence to press on beyond myself. But what about when we level the playing field and we have two very selfish people, very insecure people, broken people, they're called humans, and made in the image of God, wired for community, for communion, for intimacy, for passion, for relationship, for sharing. That's how we're made. It's what we want to do. But we're damaged and we're broken. And this is difficult and it's unnatural now. We were created to be naked and not ashamed. And in the fall, we hide and we cover and we smuggle all of that self into relationship. And so we enter in looking at the wedding and, and how wonderful it's going to be. But the marriage, we smuggled a lot in there. We want guarantees. We want leverage. We want protection from somebody else's actions or lack of action. We want to be able to say, this is what it is, I'm holding you to it. But marriage is terrifying in that we can't change the other person. We try. Everybody's tried. And everyone has failed. Right? Anyone? Lord, it works for a short time. But the fundamental change, we can only change ourselves and it's got to come from God. We've got to allow God to work in our hearts. It's terrifying in that we can trust another with our very selves and we can be most vulnerable and can be hurt and they may not even know it. It's terrifying that we can do everything right in a relationship, humanly speaking, and still get hurt and there's still damage and there's still loss. 
This is the context that Jesus was uh, laying this out. Jesus then left that place where we were last week and went to the region of Judea, the capital, and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him. As was his custom, he taught them. We don't know what, that's not important to to Peter or to Mark. What's most important is this next question. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to write. Now notice the difference between the two verbs. What did Moses command you? Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard. Whoa, what happened there? It was... All right, there we go. There we go. Um, It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. Okay, this was an ongoing argument that had been going on literally since the time of Moses. That there's the law of God that's laid out. This is what marriage is. This is, this is how you are to, to, to work this through. And with all the teachings of the Bible on relationship and stuff, the most explicit teaching on divorce comes here. So this is where the questions would arise. Deuteronomy chapter 24. And there are two different groups that were arguing, and they had been arguing all the way through up to the time of Jesus. And they continue to argue after that. Uh, There were the conservatives and, um, you know, the the conservative sect of the the Pharisees um, called Republicans. No, they were called uh, Shammai. They were the uber conservative. And then there was the the liberal Democrat Hillel house. uh, And and this is how they're interpreting it. Shammai said 99% compliance to the law is not enough. Hillel, the liberal, said 51% is enough. Shammai said, there is no way you should ever get divorced under anything whatsoever unless it's adultery. Hillel said, eh, you know, burnt toast, ah, the back of the throat, that's pretty brutal. So burnt toast is a legitimate reason. Anything's a legitimate reason. And so they were both interpreting this back and forth and back and forth. And it was just they were always arguing. So we're going to put Jesus on the spot because each position is a catch-22. And so, hey, Jesus, who should we pay taxes to? Gotcha. No, they, don't, they do that trick later. Hey, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And so Jesus... Being the, the good Jewish boy that it is, being the good and, and astute rabbi, knows exactly where this argument's coming from, but he also sees into their heart and knows why they're asking it. See, the ongoing argument from uh, Deuteronomy 24 has to do with the meaning of this word. I, I'll use the Hebrew word because there's no translation for it. Uh, I apologize. It's called Ervat Dabar. And, and there's no real way to translate it. Literally, it means the nakedness of a thing. If a woman... If a man is displeased with his wife and he finds erot debar in her, if he finds the nakedness of a thing, he may write her a certificate of divorce. That's what it says. Now, what is this erot debar? Now, Shammai, the conservative, said, well, erot debar, the only way you can get divorced is adultery, so erot debar has to be adultery. But they're completely wrong. Why? What was the penalty for adultery in the Old Testament? Death, yeah. Do you need to adjudicate a case after death? Uh-uh. So Erot Debar couldn't be adultery because the punishment was death for both parties. Rarely enforced, but that, that was the deal. And we're going to see where this comes into play in just a bit. In just a bit. So what was this 
And how are we to understand it? Let's go back to Deuteronomy 24. The, the irony is there is so much relationship. There's so much wholeness, so much unity, so much sharing, so many verses that have to do with all of this. That is marriage. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. This is what our marriage vows are based on. I keep saying this, right? That's the heart of God. But do they go there to build a theology of marriage and relationship? No. They go to the exit clause. Something that really is very specific and, and quasi-irrelevant, and they build a theology of marriage on that. We sometimes do the same. Deuteronomy 24 says this. People were getting ready to go into the land again. This is a next generation, Star Trek. They, they, didn't, know, they didn't know Shatner. They, they, you know, so they, they had to get reacquainted you know, with old school. And they got the whole law over again so that they were the ones um, listening, not obeying for their parents. And so they're getting the law laid out, and this is part of how we deal with one another. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds Ervat Devar, he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. Incidentally, what's really complicated this discussion, we find in Matthew 19, which also talks about divorce. Luke 5, Matthew 19, and here Mark 10 are three parallel sections. How they translate Arat Dabar is this. They translate it for any reason, for any cause, for any clause. And, and it needs to be an ironic quotes. So the Matthew reading that we read is this. Teacher, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? But he, they're not asking what we as, as Westerners, as, as North Americans would ask, for any reason, for anything. They're referring to that legal code in the codex here, Ervat Debar is what's used. A lot of the earlier translations translate it for any reason. But he's not asking, hey, marriage, can you get out of it for any reason? He's asking, can you get out of it for this specific thing? So that's how Jesus is answering them, and it's really important we wrap our minds around that. Okay? And if after she leaves his house... She becomes the wife of another man. And her second husband dislikes her, writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, sends her from his house. Okay, two things here. The, the writing the certificate, sending her, they're, they're two very strong words. And so this is brutal. This is harsh. This is just get out. I'm through with you. Money's on the dress. Get out of here. Just complete indifference, sending away. Harsh words. Then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again. After she has been defiled. What is up with that? Well, it gets, it gets harsher. That, the, that, going back to the first husband, would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land. The Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Okay? So, this is regulating one specific situation that was happening. If this, then this, then this, then this... This is what's, this is what's going to happen, okay? And so if somebody's married, if somebody finds Erbat Debar, if somebody writes a certificate of divorce and sends her away, if she gets remarried, if that ends in divorce, then she's not allowed to marry the first husband. That's all this is saying. It's regulating that one deal. See, what was going on about the time of uh, this was that people were, were getting out of marriage for any reason whatsoever. All a Jewish man needed to do to divorce was to do this. This is later on, just after the time of Jesus, and we're not entirely sure. But this was it. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Go. 
Done. That's it. It's all they need to do. One witness. Um, this is what Joseph was going to do with the betrothal of Mary. It's all he needed to do to get out of it. Okay? Very, very easy for guys. Women had no rights. They could not do anything. They were completely helpless. So guys were just... It wasn't quite wife swap, but they were just trading wives all the time. They were just, I divorce you, I want this one. Okay, that was fun. Now I divorce you, I want this one. I divorce you, I want this one. And this is what they mean by multiplying wives. They're just, it was just a very, very bad situation. Now, what made it really difficult, this is the law of unintended consequences, is in that society, a woman always had to be under the covering of a man, the protection, the authority of a man. It was either the the woman's father Or if not the father, then a brother. And if not that, then a husband. That's it. Now, with with the sending away in a divorce, she had already left her home. She can't go back. And now she's pushed out of the, the covering of her husband. Nobody, there's no place for her to go. Nobody's going to hire her. There's nothing. She's a complete pariah. There's only one place for her to turn, and that's prostitution. That's it. And that's what was happening. And so this regulation was harm reduction. Basically, God was saying, you're doing this anyway. And in your selfishness, you can't even see the damage you're causing. What this is causing is is casting people out there on their own. Why? What was the punishment for adultery again? Death. Okay, you got a, a woman who's sent away from her husband. Why was she sent away? I don't know. They still married? I don't know. Was it adultery? Mm, probably not. Well, it's not really enforced these days, so maybe it was. Well, what if somebody wants to enforce it? I don't know. Am I going to take that chance? And so these women that were sent away, their, their marital, marriage status was uncertain. Nobody's going to marry them. They wouldn't come under the covering again because if it wasn't a legal separation, then that person would be guilty of adultery and would be killed. So nobody's going to touch them. So that's why there are all these women who were just left and had to turn to prostitution. So what the certificate did was to say, this is legal. It's not commenting on right, wrong, or indifferent. It's just saying, here's the situation. You find yourself divorced. Here's a legal certificate that another man could take you under his covering. And you wouldn't have to turn to prostitution. So it was a hardness of the heart, selfishness, that was being regulated by God. And what we need to understand, there's a lot of things that are descriptive in the Bible. This is a really sucky situation. This is what we're doing. This is what's happening. But this is where God, God meets us. Just because it's there doesn't mean, you know, this is, this is the, the ideal. Remember this slide? The whole Old Testament worldview, the way of understanding how things are. Everything is naturally in its clean state. Okay? And if you sanctify it, you set it aside to be used by God, that is a holy thing. That is a whole thing. You profane this, doesn't mean cussing. You just go back to being clean, to being regular, usual. Uh, if you pollute something, it's unclean or common, and then you need to cleanse it in order to be clean. This is where we have all the sacrifice, all the, all the stuff that's going on with a lot of the ceremonial code and whatnot. It says that this wife has been polluted, has been defiled. It's that word. It's a very strong religious word that's used, has been religiously defiled. Why? Because this husband, in his selfishness, put her in a situation that caused her to commit adultery. That was a defilement. That, that, the, the divorce for any reason, not legit. And so the husband is held accountable for this. Okay? Remember, the unclean and the holy cannot come in contact. And there's consequences for action. What God is saying in stepping in here is you can't play around with other people's lives. And it's not just about you, dudes. 
And when you do your woman wrong this way, I'm not listening to you. That's a paraphrase of 1 Peter 3, 6. Treat your wife well, or I'm not listening to your prayers. And so there is this sense of commitment and protection and consequences for actions that are being imposed here saying, think about what you're doing. This is a big decision. This isn't just, who am I going to have this week? See, again, Jesus asked them what Moses commanded them, and they answered with all the, well, permissions, thinking they're commands, thinking they're justified, thinking, well, it's in the Bible. I guess it's okay. Harm reduction from hardness of hearts. See, Moses wrote the first five books that we have. That's the law. It tells us how to kind of mediate sin with a holy God and, and all of this before Jesus. Moses also wrote Genesis. And so Jesus says, yeah, hey, good one. Deuteronomy 24, Moses, know him well. I was just talking with him a couple weeks ago. Remember? Transfiguration, thank you. Um, let, me, let, me, let me give you the bigger picture of what Moses laid out here. So he goes back to the beginning. Um, And he quotes from, this would be Genesis 2.24. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. um, It says male and female were created corresponding to one another. It's the sense of everywhere there's a weakness, there's a strength, the strength, the weakness, that there's this completion, there's just this right fit. This just makes sense. This is good. We're, we're drawn out. We're drawn together. That's how he made it. That, that's how it's naturally to flow. That's where we, we discover ourselves in relationship with God, with others. And the words, we would translate it leave and cleave, I guess. For this reason, man will leave his father and will be united, or in other versions, translate it cleave insanely strong words. This person will absolutely break away from the covering, from the authority, from the the, the primary relationship, from the family, and will become... Cleave means to cling to, to to be glued to, like total Velcro. I mean, you're you're holding on, death grip. I mean, you're just there. And, And so the primary relationship now becomes this other selfish broken person who you fell in love with uh, and you get to work this out together. But that was God's design. That was God's design for this reason. And that is a huge difference between the primary relationship, somebody's whole life being in one way or another family, parents, and now need to learn to do it anew as husband and wife. It's like our spiritual life. Before Christ, we are very adept at the world and getting our needs met and, and aggrandizing ourselves, and it's all about me. We come to Christ, we learn the values of the kingdom are radically different, and we have to learn, wow, it's upside down. I humble myself and God, God will exalt. You know, it's the last and first. It, it, it's all of this. I, I love my wife, I love myself. We, we work all of this out. And so in the same way we discover our spiritual life, and it's clumsy and awkward and we grow in strength, we discover our unity in the, in the marriage, and we, it's awkward, and, and we grow in strength. Stuart Briscoe, um, speaker, uh, pastor, um, he was walking his daughter down the aisle, and uh, he shared with her uh, this bittersweet moment. He said, he, he asked, she asked him, Dad, are you okay? And he's getting a little choked up. And he said, well, it's just, 
It's just that I feel I'm about to give a Stradivarius to a gorilla. Okay, Stradivarius is like one of the most expensive, famous violins ever. I mean, millions of dollars. I mean, they don't make them anymore. And so the father knew his daughter, knew her disposition, her humor, her likes, her dislikes, her temperament, her moods, her history, her stories, knew everything, saw her, formed her delights in her, knows that she is a Stradivarius. And to him, this dude that she's marrying, he doesn't know her the way daddy does. Is he going to treat her well? Is he going to appreciate? Is he going to get her? Is he going to love her and appreciate his Stradivarius? Because right now he just seems like a gorilla. And that's the risk. And that is how God designed it. And that is just this radical working it together that it could be. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, we need to recognize marriage is what God has joined together and God is in it before, during, and if it happens after. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. This is that insider-outsider theme that Mark brings out all the time. There are those who are on the inside that are close to Jesus, those on the outside, and those are often flipped. Family on the outside, followers on the inside. And so whenever they're together in a house... This is sort of the, the real meaning of, of what Jesus was teaching. He was teaching the general principle, and he's saying, guys, you've got to lay a hold of more of this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Mark is writing to a primary, primarily a Roman audience. In Hebrew culture, only men could divorce. In Roman culture, men or women could divorce equally. They had equal rights in that respect. And so Mark inserts this with a woman, even though Jesus wouldn't have said it originally. The general rule is this. Marriage is of God. It's for an enduring nature. That's why uh, there, that there shouldn't be divorce. God says, I hate divorce. But God says, I hate war. Is war necessary sometimes? Yes. Does God hate it? Yes. Is there damage and sin and pain and selfishness and refusal? Yes. Does it always work out the way God would want it to? Not always. Yet. See, the prevailing view was that men could always punch out of a difficult marriage, passively or actively. And, and the disciples grew up being taught this, numero uno. And they get married and, hey, if it doesn't work, hey, whatever. And the disciples started freaking out about this. I mean, it was just difficult for them. They wanted to keep their options open, to have variety, to have change, to not get stuck. And so this teaching freaked out the disciples big time. Um, do I have? Yeah, uh, Matthew. Um, Matthew includes the disciples' response. The disciples said to him, immediately following what he just said, if this is the situation between husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, marriage. Marriage, incidentally, is a charismata, a charismatic gift. Singleness, celibacy is a charismata. Not everyone can accept this word or gift, but only to those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. There, were, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs, celibate, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. He's getting off on a whole other teaching here. The disciples were saying, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Jesus, permanent? What? What? Permanent? See, 
they want it to be players. They want it to have it all, to have the security and, and, and social standing of a family and, and to be able to do what they want. They want it to be Jew Hefner, if, if you would. Um, sorry. Um, you see, they, they didn't expect that the level of commitment that God was asking of them was on the same level of commitment that God had for them. Wait a minute. Yeah. And so now it's beginning to dawn, dawn on them. There's something much more going on here than just my happiness. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, which is probably next to 1 Corinthians 13, the go-to wedding verse, verses, uh, talking about husband and wife and loving one another and all that is beautiful. And it's just this picture of intimacy, this picture of sacrifice. Husbands, you must love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up completely for her, laying down his life. It's a tall order, right? Pretty big. Wives, submit to your husbands in all things as the church does Christ. Ridiculous tall order, especially when you're married to me. I mean, this is just crazy. Who's going to be able to do this? But Paul says, you know, what I'm primarily talking about is not just personal intimacy and rapturous joy and union and and companionship and and growing together. I'm talking about Christ in the church, that marriage is a model of Christ in the church. That's a level of commitment. That's a level of investiture that God has in this. The goal of marriage is not to stay married. Hey, my parents are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Awesome. Or is it? Maybe it was a nightmare. 50 years, that's great. Was it 50 good years or 50 bad years? 50 in different years. They've been sleeping in separate bedrooms for three decades. They get along great. Um, The goal of marriage is not to stay married, just like the goal of the Christian life is to just not sin, right? That's not the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is to grow more and more in Christ-likeness. Sin gets in the way of that, so we shouldn't. But that's not the goal. In the same way, marriage is to grow in intimacy and and, in union. Naked and not ashamed. Vulnerable and safe. To work out trust. To work out what does Christ in the church look like? That's what marriage looks like. That's the goal. The goal isn't just to stay married and put in time. Hardcore faithfulness is a great, great trait. And that's required in in any relationship. But that's not the end all be all. Anyone can endure. Anyone can stay in. It's a prison sentence, right? You can do it. So the goal isn't just to stay married. The goal is to be continually pushing, continually growing, continually seeking, continually open, humble, praying. And, and we can only do this with Christ in the center. It takes two to tango. Both partners need to be actively involved, actively committed, actively willing. It's terrifying. Uh, we, re- we realize the person that we didn't realize we were in marriage we see how selfish we are in marriage we see all the hard choices that we need to make and is it worth it what do we really believe what is of the most value them or me and we get to discover up close and personal is love truly other centered or if i'm kidding myself all opportunities to die to self it's hard enough for us to surrender our ego with a loving god right It's hard enough for us to make ourselves vulnerable, even to our Savior who demonstrated that he gives gives everything for us. Why were his enemies? He died for us. And we still, with the supreme being of love, our creator, the one who knows everything about us, loves us all the more, we have a hard time 
trusting him. We have a hard time being vulnerable before him. We have a hard time hanging in there with him at times. How much more so with a sinful person? This is difficult. That's why it takes two. This is our formation in terms of either relationship generally or intimately in marriage. How God wants to work this through. But when one partner goes radically against the covenant of marriage, what happens then? Okay, there's a, this is, we just don't have time, but um, I encourage you, uh, Matthew 19 would be a great place to, to look. Uh, there's two exclusion causes that, clauses that are listed in the Bible in terms of grounds for divorce, where there's enough damage that it's an option because it's just, it might be too much damage to put together, but it's not a command. That God is always, always in it for redemption, but both parties have to be willing. There's the acute damage. Um, it's called pornea, sexual immorality. It's not defined. Anything you consider sexual immorality, um, that, that is damage and harm. And so it's an opportunity to question of what happened, what's going on, where's your heart, where's the commitment, where, how do we work this through? It's an opportunity. But maybe it's chronic damage. It's long-term passivity and giving up and checking out and just leading parallel lives, growing apart, dying slowly. The damage is just as severe at the end. It just takes longer to get there. Paul talks about the situation. He says a non-believer. If a non-believer wants to leave uh, marriage from a believer, let him go. There's no bonds. There's no, um, there's no, the person can remarry after that. Um, and, and again, this, this is a subject of another sermon, but I think what we do with, with marriage, it's just we keep this under wraps for so long until it's just too late. And, and this is vulner, vulnerability, and it's why we need friends, and it's why we need a close circle. It's why we're pushing small groups more that we can be known and know, know others. But, but it is this sense of, um, of, of connection of the church coming together. How can we support? How can we love? How can we help before? How can we help during? How can we help after? Both of these are options. If there's been enough damage, if there's been enough just one partner persistently or, or profoundly uh, letting go, refusing, there is the option, but not the command again. And right now, we see the heart of Christ as opposed to the heart of the Pharisees and the disciples and me and us. The letter of the law or the spirit of the law. What the disciples had grown up learning and what they were doing instinctively, what the Pharisees were very good at doing, and what we have learned to do is this from our selfish hearts. We approach things from the letter of the law. Where do I stand? What can I do? What can I get away with? What are my options just in case? Let me know where it is so I can control because it's safe. And so we approach marriage technically like, like a problem and it's like a legal treatise. Okay, what are the situations where I can legally get out according to God and, and what about not and how do we navigate? If that is our approach primarily to marriage, we're already doomed. If the approach can be, how can I stay in there? How can I work this through? How can I hold on to the very thing I want to run away from and in doing so meet God? And then when it's a persistent unwillingness of the partner and it isn't going to happen and it isn't going to work and there's damage and there's grief, then you know. Then you've done everything you can. Then as much as it depends on you to be at peace with all people. Divorce, 
always painful, always costly, a, 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 a pain beyond what we can know. And anybody who has or is experiencing this knows this all too well. Because we are made to come together. That's how our hearts are formed, with God and with others. And, and walking down the aisle, nobody said, you know, I, I, I hope I have a good lawyer at divorce court. You know, I really hope I get a good settlement. Nobody, nobody does that thinking of the wedding. It's all good. It's all positive. It's all there. It may not all be real, but that's the hope. And that's where God is. You see, when we approach it from the letter of the law, we're still in control. When we approach it from the spirit of law, we allow God to have control that he needs to. See, this is what Jesus said. He said, you're approaching marriage from this really archaic, particular, extreme, sinful situation that was being regulated to protect women from prostitution. And you're building an entire theology on divorce and remarriage based upon sin rather than building a whole theology of marriage based upon the love of God and the Trinity. And so Jesus says, look, you guys, stop, stop, stop. Your whole discussion about this is getting off on the wrong start. This is God's heart and his intent from the beginning. The two would become one flesh. There'd be such intimacy and connection be- between our, our words and our emotions and, and our bodies and our futures and our talents and our skills and our problems and our lacks and discovering it together. It's a complete unity. It's described as one flesh, which is a u- u- euphemism for physical union. But the understanding is that happens most perfectly when every other area is connected well. And that's the spirit of the law. That's what Christ is about. That is what it means. He's forming this in our hearts. And it occurs intimately. It occurs intensively in marriage. But it occurs in all relationships as well. The pain, hurt, and damage. Not something I'm going to pretend to be able to explain or um, lay out there. But even... In wrong treatment done to us, even in wrong treatment done by us, and I think every single relationship, we fall into both categories, some a lot more than others, but still, there is the presence of God, there is forgiveness, there is healing, there is wholeness, there is redemption. It's the presence of God that brings the redemption, not getting the category right all the time. One of the big mistakes we make as a church in wanting to get it right, and that is a great thing, and we need to. The church is the pillar of the truth, as Paul writes to Timothy. But we so want to get it right, we focus on the letter of the law and category, and are you right or are you wrong, or are you in the good box or are you in the bad box? Do you need to suffer in silence and go away so you don't embarrass my theology? Or can it be raw and real? And we've got a long way to go as a community in being able to better trust one another and process our stuff. And that's appropriate. And and that's why it really needs to be a smaller group of friends. But here's the redemption of God. His desire, number one, is that there would be this unity and growth and trust. When there is the damage, when there is the sin, when there is the persistent letting go, God still redeems that situation. Yes, his will is marriage, and God's considering that marriage. It's what God has joined together. It's permanent. Yes, there is damage. Yes, there's consequences. God meets us there as well. I don't think there's a better biblical example. Actually, there are a few, but they're pretty grisly. Of um, doing it wrong than David and Bathsheba. 
in terms of if you want to look at if we could blame a guilty party, if this is just the absolute wrong way to do this. We could probably hold this up here. David um, should have been out with his army. He's kicking back um, on the roof of his palace, sees this woman bathing, uh, basically sends his guards to take her. It is not a romantic love story. It's more a rape. Uh, they, he, they kind of develop a relationship through this. Uh, the husband of Bathsheba was actually David's father's best friend's son. So they grew up together, childhood friends their whole life. So it gets a little more brutal when you see the betrayal. And he refuses to leave David's side. Bathsheba is pregnant, so he wants them to um, sleep together to cover it up. He refuses so he has the army pull away, and this, this man is executed, is killed, basically on David's command to cover up his sin. So we have rape, we have trying to cover up a pregnancy, and then we have murder. And now we have a year and a half of just lies, lies, and more lies, and, 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 and trying to play it off. And then there's, he's confronted. Throughout this, God's very deliberate to David. He calls Bathsheba Uriah's wife. You took Uriah's wife. That, that, that's who she is. That's who I know she is. And this is what you did to Uriah's wife. They get married. And, at the be- and he says, you are marrying Uriah's wife. And, and this is just a reminder to David. But here, here's the beautiful thing. That was ugly. That was horrible. That was wrong. Nobody's going nobody's to be an attorney for, for David in this one. Okay? But even where there is pain and sin... Ultimate guilt, there's forgiveness and redemption. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 24 says this. And God told David, you shall go into your wife, comfort her, make love to her, and take her as your own. Your wife. From sin, from brokenness, from murder, from betrayal. And God needed to deal with this, and there were horrible consequences for David. Nobody gets away with anything. But... God moves on, and so must we. That God is invested in that marriage, in that relationship, in bringing life, and the same hopes and everything that he wanted to do in wiring our hearts closer to him and closer to one another. That is where he's invested. We are broken people living in a broken world. And we're going to mess it up. When, when I look to my own ability to hold this together, I've been married almost 20 years, and, and it, it's work, and it's a roller coaster. It's a value, and, and it, it's a price I'm willing to pay, although um, sometimes better than others. It is an ongoing journey. It's not just I arrived. I said I do 20 years ago when I changed my mind. I'll let you know. And we're categorically legally married. But it is a dance, it's a tango, it's an MMA cage fight, it's nap time, it's everything in between. Um, uh, you should hear the evening sermon, it's like, no, I'm kidding. Um, it's all of this because all of this is life and all of this is where God engages us and all of it where he works together. And when there's sin and there's damage and there's hurt, it's an opportunity for us to know the comfort of God, the presence of God and the healing of God. This too takes time. And when, when there is loss where it doesn't go the way we hoped it would, when there is grief over a future that will not be, that same God is committed to us. We will know him more intimately. We will know him at greater cost. And we will be okay being broken in his presence. We will be okay entering into relationship as broken people. 
because we know a presence that will never let go of us, that will always hold us aloft. And even though there are consequences to our decisions, there's consequences to other people's decisions we need to live with sometimes for the rest of our lives. We have God himself holding us, knitting us together, and using even the sin of others and our own sin to draw us closer to himself. There's no greater symbol of reconciliation, of unity and union than this. There is no hope for the core, the center of marriage than God. There is one mediator between sinful Bill Osgood and holy almighty God. That is the man, Jesus Christ. And we can all put our names in there. One mediator. Reconciliation. And that is the ministry he has given us. In, in marriage, that is the opportunity to show it, to work it out. Whether it's beautiful, whether it's difficult, whether it's painful, whether it's ugly, whether it's completely uncertain. Where does Christ meet us? Right here, right now. I'd like to invite deacons forward to distribute these. I'd like to invite worship band forward. And as the deacons distribute these, please take the, the wine, uh, the wine, the juice, the bread, and uh, we'll all partake together. If you are checking out the faith and not sure what this is, this is just a symbolic reminder that it's all about Christ. I suck. He has taken away all of my sins that I could know him, love him, grow in him. That is amazing. We celebrate that. And in the busyness of life, we so forget. In the, in the difficulty of relationship, we so forget. So we remind ourselves, God doesn't love me because I'm worthy or special, but because God loves me, I am of the utmost worth, utmost special. And he has proven that by the price he paid on the cross. Gave up absolutely everything to buy us from sin and death, from selfishness and hurt. So um, please, please distribute, sorry, and um, reflect in your hearts. Do business with God. Is there anything that's gotten in the way of your relationship? Is there anything you've neglected? Let the Spirit speak to your heart, worship God, and we'll partake together. Crucified to save
draws us with cords of love, that you are a holy God who has done everything to cleanse us, that we cannot just stand before you, but can know you, be known by you. Your love can be completed in and through us. We thank you, Father, for making this all possible. We thank you for chasing after us as we ran away in rebellion. We thank you for your patience, your mercy, your compassion, your love, your joy. Continue to open the eyes of our hearts that we would know the substance and depth of your love and would be satisfied with nothing less. Amen. The night that our Savior was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat this, you do so in remembrance of me, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. When they had finished eating, he took a cup of wine. He also gave thanks, blessed it. And looking around, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of many sins. Every time you drink this, you do so in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ, cup of salvation. Thank you, Father. For so great a salvation, for so great a Savior, for the hope made real in you. Draw us to yourselves, no matter where we are, whatever the pain, whatever the frailty, whatever the fear, wherever we're stuck, wherever we just can't see how the next thing's going to happen. Meet us, Lord God. Knit our hearts together. And our hope is in you. Christ's name. Amen. Please pass your cups to the center and we will conclude with worship. Well, as we seek God's wisdom in our marriages, in our relationships, that we would have um, marriages and relationships that would glorify him. Let's stand up together as we uh, seek his wisdom.
today to enjoy this gorgeous sunny day. Got a couple things for you real quick. Um, one, if you are a parent of a junior high, high school, or college, there is a parent meeting at 1230, which is like in five minutes, in room 202. So you'll want to make sure that you head there right afterward. There's lunch even. Ah, how can you go wrong? So um, there's that. And then also, yes, we are excited that the 49ers are in the Super Bowl, right? Go Niners. Um, however, uh, next week, it's it also is kind of at the same time as our Sunday service at night, Sunday evening service. Now, we wouldn't normally cancel Sunday evening service, but um, because of, like, where we're located and everything that goes on and them blocking off the streets and everything else, for everybody's sake, we're going to cancel Sunday evening service. It was either that or have this place be a bunker. So, um, anyway, we decided we'd cancel it. Uh, so, next week, there's no Sunday evening service. But this week, there is. So, bring someone back tonight. By the way, Sunday evening services are going great. Love to see you there. And uh, there's a lot of sign-ups. A lot of, th- a lot of announcements this morning, huh? 
but that's because there's a lot of great things going on at the church. So get involved. Don't forget to sign up for something. And uh, if you're newer to the church, you want to know a little bit more about who we are, the couch is in the back called the living room. 10, 15 minutes afterward, um, some people would love to answer some questions for you. And if you need prayer, uh, this is certainly not least, last but not least. Invite our prayer counselors forward, and they'd love to pray with you after the service uh, for whatever's on your heart. Thanks so much for coming today. Enjoy a wonderful day. See you soon.